Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, uh, this is Nat, your uh, your host, as always, with my brother John, um, who I won't ask to say hi because he can't resist saying something clever. So uh, John is here with us as always. But man, our guest today is somebody I've wanted to talk to for quite some time. Um, this is uh, Douglas Campbell. Now, I'm going to read you something real quick that we uh, just to, to kind of introduce you to him, let you know if you don't already know, you should. But if you don't, um, Douglas Campbell was born in London to Kiwi parents, uh, returned to New Zealand when he was around three. So he's raised a New Zealander. Uh, did a master's and a PhD at the University of Toronto, studied with a lovely, famous, warm-hearted evangelical named Richard Longnecker. His first job was at his UG alma mater, the University of Ontago, Dunedin, New Zealand. I probably butchered all of that. Otago um, yes. <laughs> in Dunedin. Yeah, you did well. <laughs> I did butcher it. I told you I would. Okay. Um, teaching religious studies, mainly taught Western religions, although his first course was a was, a, was on gender construction in Hinduism and Islam. Uh, he met Alan Torrance there, and that friendship changed his life. Um, of the Torrance brothers' fame, I'm guessing? Uh, son of son of JB, nephew of TF, father of... Oh, okay. Amazing, okay. After seven years, he went to a uh, New, New Testament post at King's College in London. Graham Stanton was his boss before he went to the chair at Cambridge. He worked there with Francis Watson, then Judith Liu, and, uh, and Eddie Adams. Also spent quite a bit of time doing research in Germany at Heidelberg. Another seven years was pretty ground down and needed to get out. And so he applied for an entry-level position in New Testament at Duke. And he's still there. Uh, He found support that he needed at Duke and has been able to crank out a lot of the material that had been thinking about over uh, the previous 14 years and then some. So five books have emerged since 2003. Um, Prison engagement is also a very big part of his life at Duke. He co-directs the prison program, teaches... Uh, its core course, and also with his wife, Rachel, they strongly support some individuals who are doing time. Uh, he loves the weather in North Carolina, his house, his dog, his cat, his hot tub, and his laid-back lifestyle. Uh, his wife, uh, they are both active, walking, running, swimming, doing Pilates, etc. Uh, and they recently welcomed their second grandchild in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, they attend a very small home church network at present, which is officially a UMC offshoot. Um, the recent launch has been significantly impeded by COVID, obviously but they're getting back into gear now. Uh, his longtime pastor is transitioning to bivocational work, and they're supporting that. Uh, he's not ordained, do not identify very strongly with any denomination, was a convert at the age of 20, attended a low church, soft evangelical, charismatic Episcopalian church. Wow, that's a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> Since then, we've attended real old-style Pentecostal churches, a high church, charismatic Anglican church. I didn't know there was such a thing. Uh, vineyard churches, a UK Reformed Church, Congregational Presbyterian, uh, Presbyterian Church there, uh, PCUSA, and most recently a UMC church plant, although now they're in a plant from a plant. Bit of a mongrel then, obviously. Uh, he said he would add that Duke has taught me to respect Baptists, Mennonites, Catholics, and Orthodox as well. Um, Douglas has been studying Paul intensively for 36 years. He is, uh, as, as, as he was at the beginning, very excited about what he takes from Paul, uh, takes Paul to be saying. Very concerned about his widespread misinterpretation. The true Pauline gospel is not well known, and those who think they know it spend a lot of time resisting, attacking, and undermining it. It has been a long struggle, but that results in a somewhat Pauline shape to his life, especially if you know Second Corinthians well, which some of us, we, we, we know exactly what you mean. Man, there's, wow. Um, 
Wow. Um, amazing stuff. There's, uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about literally all of that. But first, I just want to say welcome and say thank you for taking the time to uh, be on the podcast. Oh, no, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Nice to, nice to chat with you guys. I'll, I'll say this. I first became aware of your work when I was sort of initially beginning to evaluate and deconstruct my faith. And part of that process was being in a Facebook group with somebody who uh, introduced me to your work as well as the work of Lewis Martin. And so this very new, fresh take on Paul, you know, that for me had been a sort of enigmatic figure for so long and sometimes very, very difficult to pin down. I mean, um, a lot of what I read from you and from people like Martin helped to reframe Paul in a way that made him seem a little less schizophrenic <laughs> and a little less, you know, yeah. harsh. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was, can you describe for us in, in simple layperson terms um, what you mean by an apocalyptic rereading of justification in Paul? Because I know for a lot of people that word apocalyptic carries some baggage with it that they might not immediately see it the same way. Yeah, great question. Um, thank you for that lovely intro, by the way. And I'm delighted to think that my work has helped, helped you, but love to know more about that, actually. Was it Michael Harden? Absolutely. Was it Michael Harden? It was Michael Harden. Yeah. yeah. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Love yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. And I love his theology. Um, so apocalyptic just means, uh, for me, a couple of things. One, revelation. Two, eschatology. And so all I'm doing is flagging up independence on the people I've learned from that the truth about God revealed through Jesus is known by us because God has revealed it to us through the work of the Spirit. So we're not really in charge of this process and we're not in control of it. Uh, it's in control of us. That's where you start off. And good theology, good God talk, just as a process after this of bringing every single thought and notion and prayer and laying it at the feet of Jesus and seeing if it measures up there. And you, you stay yeah. fulfilled in that process. So that's kind of aspect one. In the apocalyptic reading. Okay. And aspect two is eschatology. So we often associate the, the writings known as apocalypses with, with a lot of talk about the age to come and the new creation and resurrection. What I'm, what I'm hitting there is just Albert Schweitzer's belief that the heart of Paul is that we die and are resurrected in Christ. So the resurrection is not a future event only. It's, it's actually an event that is breaking into our life right now. We are, mm. we are walking in with a mind that is resurrected. Hard to tell sometimes, <laughs> but uh, right. look, this is what's doing the work. And, um, as we're resurrected with the mind of Christ, we have this very precious gift. We, we learn about God loving us. That the heart of God for humanity and for creation and for us is, is a, a tremendously committed, covenantal, loving heart. And you can see immediately I'm going to get a little worried about some of the traditional justification moves because it's not based on God's revelation breaking into you with the gospel of, of a yes, a yes, I love you. And now I want you to address your sin. It reverses that order and it reverses that mode of knowledge. You go in search of God. And the first thing you learn about God is you have a problem. 
God has a problem with you. Mm. And then later on you learn about the solution. Uh, so you have a big no up front and a, and, a, and a very muted yes, which is exactly what Paul is not saying. You have a big yes up front followed by a no. <laughs> so if you right. really want to recover Paul's gospel, his true gospel, you've got to reread, re-understand what's going on with justification. And, and that's complicated, but I think it's complicated because we have gotten lost and imposed on the text very complex grids. And, it, you know, it's, it's terribly hard to see. It's, it's hard to look at, you know, I'm sitting here looking at you guys, right? It's hard for me to look at my glasses. I'm looking at you through my glasses. What happens if a guy comes along and says, there's something wrong with your glasses? I mean, I can't see it, right? <laughs> right, right. This is, this is where a lot of good people have gone astray with justification and Paul's justification texts. Yeah, but, you know, the enlightened few, the elect like yourself, Nick. Right, right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen through the glass darkly. <laughs> do, you, do you think that, I, I think it's interesting because I know that Martin goes to great lengths uh, in his commentary on Galatians in particular um, to not use the word justification. And he, right, he chooses right. instead to use the word rectification. And right. partly I think it's because we've become so familiar with that word that we've imposed our own meaning onto it. And I feel like Martin wanted to say, no, 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 let's, re- let's look at this completely differently. Instead of being justified in a sense of legal transaction, um, we're actually just being made right. Like what had gone wrong is being rectified. And so taking the sort of legal jargon out of it and just bringing us more into a place of healing and wholeness, um, I feel like that's something that your work does as well, is it takes yeah. us... Yeah. It takes us out of our over familiarization with Paul, and and really, and I say that, and I don't even really mean that. What I mean is, no, you're our right. Over familiarization right. of what they've told us, Paul yeah. has said. Yeah, you're right. And we have to completely reorient ourselves to yeah. a new way of looking at Paul, just to to divorce it from that sort of yeah. mainstream evangelical reading of Paul that just likes to yeah. pull out the clobber text and smack people with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you, you don't have to reorient yourself completely because you probably, my evangelical friends, they, they say all the right stuff at some point. Yeah. It's, it's just they preface it with some bad stuff. So, so 90% of what they say, 90% of what Paul writes, they understand perfectly well. Um, it's just when they start off with, with this rough stuff from the very front end of Romans that they frame it all. And distort it. And, and yeah, you're exactly right. I think justification, and I think Lou was exactly right. Ju- justification is not a good translation of the Greek verb, the kao. Um, yeah. it's, it's got way too much theology injected into it. And, and I think Lou, I go even a little further than Lou. I, th- I think what Paul is getting at, it is forensic, but it's, it's not the forensics that we think of in the West. With an, imp- an impartial courtroom, I and mean, didn't have courtrooms when Paul was right. writing. <laughs> Paul's, a, Paul's a guy that knew a lot about forensic processes, and he's referring, I think, demonstrably when he talks about what Jesus does to you with this verb. He's talking about a process of getting set free from jail. You're getting released. You're getting delivered. Um, and he's contrasting that with 
with a forensic. He's contrasting that with the forensic system, but, but my reading is it's a forensic system by some uh, Messianic Jews that haven't quite got it. <laughs> not quite on, not right. quite on board. <laughs> not on the grace train, you know? And uh, they're, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're early corruptors of the gospel of grace. And, and I, I, I think that church history confirms my suspicion that you, you often have a bunch of these guys wandering around. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, often. Uh, they they seem to be sort of ubiquitous, don't they? They're just everywhere. They're yeah, everywhere. <laughs> but we yeah. it is, isn't it amazing? I mean, you, you read Paul's letters and you get to a place where you're like, man, this is only, you know, a few years removed from Christ walking the earth and we already have the gospel being corrupted. Yeah. Already, nice. already have yeah. this stuff. So it must be so intrinsically human to put all these trappings onto it, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, James Torrance, in, in a seminal article that's influenced me a lot on covenant or contract, he writes about this and he says, there's just something in the human heart that wants to turn God's covenant into a contract. And, and he goes on to talk about how we we grasping for control. Because as soon as we've got a contract, we think we're in control. There are things I can do. Things I, I I I take control of this relationship, and I tell other people how they get into relation with God, and I can make myself a gatekeeper and uh, all that cool stuff. And this, this, this is always yeah. this is always a bad move, <laughs> right? It, uh, it doesn't. It also seems like uh, when once we can put our put it into that contract idea then we can start finding the wiggle room to get out of the contract oh, yeah. to change, yeah. to change it or to, to, to not break the rules, but bend the rules. Yeah. Um, add a little bit, add the stuff yeah. that we really care about that we think other people aren't taking seriously. You'll, you need to do this or you'll go to hell, like get baptized <laughs> properly. Stuff like right, that. right. <laughs> you yeah. can't just have, you can't just be sprinkled. That doesn't yeah. work. We yeah, have to no. dunk you fully. Yeah, God's going to kill you if you don't get baptized properly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the gospel, according to some, is Jesus says, uh, "Love me or else." And uh, I find that's right. <laughs> I find I find no good news in that whatsoever. So love me, um, or I'm going to kill you. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, love me or yeah. That's like <laughs> I was talking to my son. He's 22 now or whatever he is, and uh, a couple years ago, and I'm involved in some of the stuff and we're talking about hell and whatever. And he says, so you're telling me dad that, that God is, God wants you to love him freely. And I said, yeah, I believe that's true. And he says, okay, so then the threat of hell is got to be the most coercive thing there is. Love me or right. burn is right. the most coercive. So that can't be love, right? I'm like, man, yeah. At 22, you got it. You nailed it, man. Don't get confused. Don't leave that insight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, stay there. That's where you plant the flag, and you say the rest of it has to now bend the knee to that thing. That's right. I um, mean, if I said to my wife, you know, I mean, I've been in this marriage with you for a long time now, my dear, and, and I just need to be honest with you. Uh, it's because, you know, if you die, I'm going to inherit a lot of money. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Right. And also, right. yeah, your father told me that if I ever left you, he was going to send around his buddies and they were going to break my legs. So here I am. Okay. It doesn't right. really I love you. you. I don't care about you, but I, I have very good reasons for being here. What's going to happen? 
Yeah. Man, you're toast. Just that amount. Not really. Yeah. Well, so then, so so talk about this thing because I, I I find that um I, I I find that most versions of Christianity that I encounter it's it's so transactional, yeah. you know, and right. so right. do we get to this place then where we have have we just lost um, any sense of what a covenant really is, and have we just turned it all into contracts then? I yeah, I think we have. I mean, it's a very common problem that that we. If we're not really clear about doing our thinking and our discipleship out of a kind of a Jesus place, we lose our way and we start projecting things onto God. We make God in our own image. And we yeah. live in a very, very conditional society. And, you know, most Americans are running around in a very big country with groups of people that they don't really like very much. And they're going, how do I limit my obligations so that I, I'm, I want to be a good Christian and I want to kind of help out the people that are in my network and that I like and that look like me. But there are a bunch of people here I really don't feel much obligation towards. And you, you can limit your obligations by setting up contracts. And so if this is how you want to set things up. Then you usually set God up the same way. You end up projecting these things into God and coming up with these awful, awful cultural debasements. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. you you basically, where this road ends up, you end up storming the Capitol saying, you know, Jesus told me to do it, doing dumb stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That ends up being the the, the logical conclusion, doesn't it? That's right. I mean, that's That's the taken to its extremes. Yeah. That's right, and, yeah. and and the devil will take it to its its extreme at some point. For sure, yeah, you're on a slippery slope at that point. Yeah, so this is why I'm so kind of concerned, <laughs> concerned, right? The misappropriation of Paul, which is really just based on a misreading of the very first argument in the very first letter. To get that right, well, let's talk about that. What's 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 that major misunderstanding then, as people misinterpret and misread Paul? that happens in that first little bit of Romans? What are they, what are we missing? Yes, yes. I think what's happened is Paul was making a Socratic argument in which he was wanting, it's it a very, very clever argument. It's brilliantly done. And he was um, basically driving his opposition at Rome onto the horns mm. of a dilemma. He was humiliating them, showing mm. them how their preaching collapsed on itself. And they were, they were turn or burn guys, like really, really, right. really, like super duper Southern Baptists, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> they're like turn or burn, although it's turn to the Jewish law, turn to circumcision or burn. And Paul was saying, well, you know, let's, let's press some of these guys, um, and see what happens. Oh, shucks. You know, if we really press into this, you, you don't actually save anybody by making them Jews. You don't even save yourself. So this is this is this is mm. the conclusion of the argument. These people fall silent. So that's a Socratic argument, which involves hearing the voice of another group of kind of problematic preachers in that text. Now that's a very circumstantial reading that would have to be performed the right way, and it would have been. Because we know that letter readers had to perform things. 
Um, that would have to be performed the right way. And you would kind of need to know that they're in the room in, in just the way that a modern um, bit of satire needs you to know who's in the room that isn't really being named, you know. So, like, a few years right. back, you know, we, we used to watch the Colbert Report, right? And oh, yeah. Col- Colbert never tells you that he's spoofing right-wing media maniacs. Because uh, he doesn't need to, because we all know, right? You know, the Rush Limbaugh right, right. world are in the room. But what happens if we take right. the Colbert Report and bury it and dig it up 2,000 years from now, long after the United States has ceased to exist, and watch it? Will we know that he's actually being funny and ironic? And, and you know, the mm. answer is probably no. We, we won't. Well, the people that because they'll have lost those signals. So this is what happened to Romans. It lost its signals. And then mm. as soon as it lost its signals, what did we do? A bunch of people came along who were a little bit closer to Paul's opponents than they were to him. <laughs> right, right. And said, hey, he agrees with us. That's right. These authoritarian <laughs> pro- opponents kick off this speech, and they're like, yeah, preach it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are like me. Yeah. Uh, poor old Paul. Yeah. Poor old Paul, every time this reading gets done, I think he turns over in his grave. I think he's turned over in his grave so often he's dug a hole to China because um, he's, <laughs> he's being read in terms of the people he disagrees with. I mean, it's 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 awful. <laughs> but this is where this people gets off on the wrong foot. So is it is it a is it a product of the fact that these letters would have been read aloud and 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 acted out essentially right with the voices of the false teachers and those being personified um that we lose that in the written text like that that's just yeah now it gets flattened out and it gets all yeah and, you know and, up. And, and the text gets stuck in the bible and so we start reading them with reference to their original situation um so it's it's taken a very very long time for us to come back to the possibility that those sorts of readings can be helpful. I'm, I'm not I'm not a guy that wants to say the only way to read the Bible is to reconstruct the original circumstances. I don't, I don't think that's correct. Yeah. But I, I do think it's helpful sometimes. And in this yeah. case, I think it's helpful to go back and go, well, you know, we've read it this way a long time. What about how might it have been read originally? Gee, look at that. It could have been very different. So w- once you start reading... Paul's letters, as if he's writing systematic theology to the church, you're going to hear Paul. You're going to say, oh, yeah. this is Paul telling it like it is. The other thing you're going to do, and sadly, Matt, <laughs> is it doesn't take very long before you're going to read Paul as a Christian and not have a problem with him dumping on Jews. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah. You're going to yeah. read these texts. When he hits the Jews hard, really, really hard, basically wipes them out. You're going to go, yeah, good job, Paul. Of course, that's what you're going to say. And you, you see here straight away how the slippery slope takes you to a very, very dangerous place. And it took Europe to a very dangerous place. We need to learn from that and realize Paul was a Jew. He's a Messianic Jew. This is pretty weird stuff for him to be saying about other Jews if we read it as yeah. him. But if we step back and read it as a kind of a collapsing argument, we actually pull the fans of this nasty anti-Jewish reading. We make it much more specific, uh, much much less damaging. So this is this is another 
reason why I think my reading <laughs> is a good one, <laughs> why we should at least yeah. attain its possibility uh, as being right. Yeah. Yeah, it always struck me as uh, strange that, you know, Europe in the 20th century is so, you know, Germany, which ties, you know, traces its theological history back to the reformers and all the other stuff. I mean, that they managed to be so very anti-Semitic. And it's that reading of Paul that seems to say, you know, essentially give you permission to blame the Jews for everything. It's all their fault. They're all just a bunch of Pharisees and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, what, what you realize is um, you kind of unleash this theological program if you read the text as Paul, which in which Christianity is premised upon a negative prior definition of Judaism. So Christianity only makes sense as a solution and a step forward once you've deconstructed Judaism as a religion of works. And so this, this religion sucks. Right, right. We need to become Christians. Right. Yeah. It doesn't take you very long to figure out that, of course, Protestants would say that if they're reading Jews as Catholics. Like, we need to become Protestants because Catholicism sucks. But what you end up doing is premising your own identity on the destruction of somebody else's identity and, and defining them in a negative way. So you lock the Jews into a permanent, negative, immoral, irrational place. It's incredibly dangerous thing to do. And this is the poisonous side to the Lutheran reading, the old perspective. And we just need to be more honest about this. This is what we're doing. Um, where does all this crazy othering come from in American Christianity and, and its authoritarian versions, its kind of more conservative versions? Where does all this comfort with really hitting perceived deviant groups incredibly hard and not having a problem with arresting them, detaining them, accusing them, inflicting harm upon them. Where's that great sense of comfort come from? From With people who actually are supposedly shaped by the gospel? Well, it comes from this. comes from this model where my identity as a Christian is based on dumping on you. <laughs> it was different for me. That's, that's right. pretty, nasty, pretty nasty stuff, right? It seems like, I mean, if you, you could almost like just whittle it down to that we have, we have Christianized Paul, we have Christianized Jesus, and we've taken out their, their, we've just completely divorced them of their Jewish backgrounds. And we're just specifically within the American evangelical church that we, we, we forget that at their core, both these people were Jews, were Jewish, followed yeah. that followed that faith. Yeah, we've lost sight of that, and and I think you're right, and and we've lost sight of the fact that, that we're not replacing Judaism. Um, God, Jesus, Jesus, and Paul are not here to tell us that Judaism is out of date. Now needs to be set to one side. <laughs> yeah. say, this is really. <laughs> the God is doing all this cool stuff. There, there is, there is Jewish rejection of this, but there's also Jewish acceptance. We, we have all our messianic, right, Jewish right. brothers and sisters, and um, we hold out our hands in hope and prayer to to Jewish people and other people that have not accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Right. Wow. Yeah. So much good stuff, man. That's. I, I was reading. Um, I have just started reading 
um, Paul, an apostle's journey, um, after going through some of your other work. And I, I, I'm appreciative of this, by the way. If you're listening and you want a, a good jumping off point for um, getting into the works of Douglas Campbell, Paul, an apostle's journey is, I think, at your that's your safe bet for stepping in. Yeah, you can just um, read that, dump the rest. I think, man, it's all in there, man. <laughs> okay, fine. That's it. My Except, last work, 70 pages, you, know. you can walk away. Yeah, yeah. This one this one here, on the other hand, is, holy crap, 1,200 pages up. It's it's amazing. If you really want to go deep, 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 um, if you want to spend a lot of time in your dictionaries, um, that's a fantastic, it really will challenge you in a, in a lot of ways. But you mentioned in here something that I thought was very interesting, which was we tend to read Paul through his epistles, our two main sources are his epistles and the book of Acts, and that we've reversed sometimes this this chronology where we go, we'll go to the book of Acts, and then we'll read right. the letters right. in reference to the book of Acts versus getting the firsthand picture from Paul and then filtering the book of Acts through what we have learned yeah. from Paul's letters. Right. And uh, what's right. the importance of that order, do you think? Yeah, so we, we forget that ancient historians wrote books in a different way from, from modern historians, and they're much more comfortable moving things around and organizing them, and they're like a non-chronological sequence and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. what, what happens is the author of Acts is a, is a very gifted writer, and there is a bit of shifting around going on. And we, well, the long, the, to cut a long story short, if, if you follow Acts strictly sequentially, you will run into problems. And one of the things you'll do is you'll put Galatians up front as Paul's earliest letter. And I think that's a mistake. You'll also put a tremendous emphasis on Paul's call, told in a certain way, because the book of Acts is very interested in Paul being um, grasped by God as the apostle to the, to the pagan people. So it tells the story of his conversion three times. Um, now, Paul... Paul's call was extremely important, but we have to be careful to tell it the way that he tells it. And he does not tell his, the story of his conversion like a Lutheran. He tells the story of his conversion in an apocalyptic way. Where he's, actually, he's actually bumping along. He's doing some bad stuff, but he's feeling quite pleased with himself. He's blameless, he says. Persecuting the church, he's fired up, he's angry. He's char- he, I mean, I don't want to harp on about this, but he's like charging the capital. Yeah, bring it on, man. I'm take, yeah. taking back the Jesus movement for God, and he's persecuting. And then God blows him away, breaks into his life, and he goes, oh, no, yeah. in retrospect, in retrospect, in the light of Jesus, I've been a dirty, rotten scoundrel here. That's that's how his story is told. And then um, later on when he writes all his letters, I think it becomes apparent that Galatians and Romans and Philippians are written very close together and they're written to target this group of teachers, this, this group of false teachers that we were previously talking about. So they're actually more circumstantial rather than just his systematic theology. So a, a lot of trouble has been caused by this assumption that we just read these texts as false. This is the gospel. And it isn't. The gospel is buried within these arguments. You just can't read it right off the surface. Um, Yes, yeah, so these these are biographical adjustments that I think will help us to. Uh, we were talking about that problem of how do I see my glasses? 
<laughs> yeah. You'll need to adjust them. Yeah, when you're seeing through them. There you go. Adjustment, adjustments in the lenses will take place if we get his life right. Yeah. Is there any sense, do you feel like, like, I feel like we've, I feel like we've taken with Paul and we've divinized him to a point where everything he ever put to pen is scripture. And I wonder sometimes if we have not allowed Paul his own evolution and his own growth yeah. as he <laughs> comes into, right? We've just somehow, he got the divine yeah. download and then everything he yeah. said from that point cannot yeah. be quibbled with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think everything he wrote is technically scripture uh, because it's in the Bible. But what we do with scripture is, is a very interesting question. And you're, you're raising a, a crucial point, which, which is really, I, th- I think where you're going, what I'm hearing you saying, is there's a sense in which we don't evaluate everything that he says. And, and you know, everything that other parts of Scripture say, and actually we should, and you say, well, how? Surely Scripture is used to evaluate everything else. No, no, Scripture is under the judgment of God revealed through Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus is more important than Scripture. So Scripture needs to talk about Jesus. Um, we need to read Amen. it in a way that lifts Jesus higher, which is what Paul says, you know, whatever promises there were are yes to us in Jesus Christ. So we need to read the scriptures with a very, very strong, we need the Jesus spectacles on (laughs) when we read the Bible. And you're exactly right, Matt, that this will lead to slightly different, gentler, kinder readings. We're probably not going to hit slavery and say, Oh, in Ephesians 5, yes, slaves obey your masters. Don't have a problem with this institution. We probably can back off from that and say, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> Let's not do that. Um, and stuff like that. Yeah. As you mentioned, um, also in Paul, an apostle's journey, there's something about, um, Paul's sort of like, sort of status quo theology, right? Like if you're single, go ahead and stay single. Yeah. Um, yeah. and how that led to problems as, you know, as, the decades roll by, right, right, <laughs> and people become impatient with this whole like, yeah. you know. So, yeah. do you think is Paul, is Paul writing from a perspective, perhaps, where he sees the end is way more imminent than it obviously turned out to be, and so he's like, "Listen, just chill for a while. Right, um, this right. will all become irrelevant yeah. shortly." There's a bit of that going on. <laughs> You're exactly right. Yeah, no, there's definitely a bit of that going on because he says that uh, Schweitzer called this Paul's law of the status quo. Stay in the position you were in when you were called. Polarize. This, right. this is like a win for him because it means any people that convert to Jesus who are Gentiles or pagans don't have to become Jews. Just stay where you are. So this is, this is like a win. Right. But it's not a win, as you say, if you say to all the betrothed couples, stay as you are. And so they put their put their wedding on hold. You know, they call up the wedding planner and say, just, just, you know, not, not going to do this. I'll, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Wedding's on hold. <laughs> right. And then, you know, 10 years later, Paul shows up and you're like, dude, <laughs> can we get married? And Paul goes, oh yeah, fine. And you're like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some of the Corinthians uh, are thinking, but you're exactly right. Yeah, the, the the second coming of 
of Jesus is, is not happening as soon as Paul expected, and it's kind of stretching out, and it's still stretching out. That, that's fine, but your advice is going to change a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean this, you know, and that I, I kind of attribute some of his, you know, that that you know, like listen, slaves obey your masters. And all of these things, in a, kind yeah. of in his sense that listen, this right. won't, this you don't have to endure this forever. Exactly. Not as a, definitely not as a endorsement of a of a yeah. system of oppression, saying hey, no, this is fine. He's just saying hey, yeah, this will all be very irrelevant very soon. Yeah, that's right. Don't I mean, worry about this. Yeah, that's right. If you're going to be a slave, and you you know, don't worry about it because you know, in like August, Jesus comes back, everything's made new. So, so why right. why start a social revolution in the next three months? It's like rearranging right. the, when it's the, all... the Titanic. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. this is exactly what's going on. I think you're exactly right. Um, so we we have to adjust. We need to adjust those instructions in the light of what we know now. Yeah, terrible things happen when we don't adjust little bits that we should. <laughs> so, oh, uh, yeah, one one hundred percent. I, I, I come from this from uh, a, a very non-academic lens, let's just say. Um, so a lot of questions I have about Paul, I think, are you know what I hear mirrored by people on social media, uh, and, and you know Paul is used as we as we've mentioned earlier with the with the clobber passages. Paul has been used to you know to bash certain groups of people. How do we how do we how do we reevaluate those passages. Yeah. Yeah. As, as I've, as I've learned to read Paul through this other lens and through this, uh, I'm, I'm coming to the understanding that that's not necessarily what he was saying, but for someone who's just, just stepping, you know, putting their toe in the, in the water, so to say, how do the, how do we approach these clobber passages, you know, against, uh, women, women preaching in church, or homosexuals, or all all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. What yeah. what is the? How do we? How do we even approach those? Um, great question. I think that one thing that's very helpful to do up front is to get very familiar with the passages where Paul is very Jesus centered, talking about the cross and the resurrection, and talking about God's love. So Romans 5 and Romans 8 are very, very important passages to spend a lot of time in. And then there are, there are shorter texts and other part, parts of Paul that nevertheless make the same point. And get really grounded in what he says about saving and including pagans in Jesus. That, that great inclusive movement where he's really standing up for the fact that you can become a Jesus follower. You don't have to become a Jew. Jewish people should stay Jewish and be Jesus followers, but you guys over here, you you can be included very much as you are. There there are certain modifications that have to take place. There's a very, very strong inclusive movement there. And then what you do is you build out from that, I think, with this conviction it's so different from what you were naming, I think exactly right, John, which is at the heart of Paul is a radical, radically revolutionary, inclusive movement. Paul is the apostle of inclusion. You get hold of the logic that lies behind that inclusion. And this is obviously the logic that really mattered to him. 
because he was the apostle to the pagans. That was his job. That's what God called him. This is the big and and then only when you've got all that stuff really, really bedded down, you can approach these other chat these other these other texts and handle them in a constructive way. And I, I think um did you got Pauline dogmatics on the desk in front of you, Nat? The, well, I, I do, yeah. I, yeah, there's a chapter deep under there where I'm I'm talking about the gender passages that, that John was talking about. Oh yeah. And I, I I run through a whole bunch of ways of reading those texts, many of which are not terribly helpful. But towards the end <laughs> towards the end I get to sort of strategy sixteen and strategy seventeen and strategy eighteen. <laughs> and th- those those are good. Those will help you make sense of these texts in a way that will, will build people up and lift them up. And uh, so that that's why that, that chapter is in there. Yeah. Oh oh and and, and is it is it the nav is it the navigating sex and marriage one? One one somewhere in there. I think it might be navigating dad and navigating okay. gender. The next one after that. Navigating sex and Oh no oh, yeah yeah you're right. Yeah. And um, the other thing is read Ephesians a lot. Particularly the front end. You got the you got the rough stuff at the back end, but the front end is very, very inclusive, very grace oriented, very love oriented, very, very kind of overwhelming, gracious letter. I would center Paul's thinking on Ephesians one, not on Romans one. <laughs> right, right, right. That's what I, I, trying to get people to see that, you know, um you, I just don't think you can read you know, the width and breadth of Paul's writings and come away that he's a misogynist, except if you isolate a few texts and right, say, okay, right, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. or you or you misrepresent Junius as Junia or vice versa, or you, you know, misgender people and you realize that he's put people, you know, that he's put women in places of authority and leadership. Completely. I think he's talking about, um, he's shutting down on, on talk. Um. And I, I always have a bit of a laugh about this because people go, oh, goodness me, um, isn't it oppressive and awful that the women are not allowed to talk? And we all sit in churches today where almost everybody's not allowed to talk. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> like one dude up the front who's talking. Everybody else is quiet. You're not allowed to interrupt even if you're a guy. Right. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> He's not, and he's actually, yeah. even in First Corinthians, he's affirming the right of women to speak charismatically in the power of the Spirit. If they have a prophecy or a revelation or a tongue or something, they're supposed to speak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, man, he's more inclusive than you realize. If you're reading him with these kind of mean spectacles, you're not going to see the good stuff. Yeah. Well, and then what, what have we done, if you speak to this for a second, when we impose 21st century, 20th century, whatever, structures and mores onto an ancient text, and we, and we put things in terms. So, so for example, let's talk about, um, John brought up homosexuality. Um, does a first century Paul view homosexuality in anywhere near the same way that a 21st century American does? And can we draw any parallels there? Well, yes and no. I mean, in some ways, you know, the kind of biology of people hasn't changed very much over the years. We're mammals. We, we reproduce in certain ways. On the other hand, our cultural construction of these things is very, very different, very different, dramatically so. 
Um, and a nice example of that is in, uh, I think, First Corinthians 6.11, is it, where Paul is, Paul is running off a list of, of people that he doesn't think are going to make it. He talks about how certain people will not. He's, he is threatening a little bit at that point because he, he does do that from time to time. And he, he talks about how the Malachi will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the Malachi get translated homosexual through the ages. Now, that's just wrong. Um, as Dale Martin has pointed out at some length, the Malachi are just the soft guys. So they're the effeminate guys, the guys that don't wear jeans and wear baseball caps. Man, they're not going to inherit the king of a god. So I'm screwed. Um, no, actually, I wear jeans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. Some of my friends, I don't know. Um, so <laughs> what we're getting at there is your point is exactly right. We do have to adjust for very different understandings and constructions of what's going on in these gender codes. I mean, it's kind of ludicrous to think that we should be reading um, mores about this stuff from 2,000 years ago. Man, 20 years ago, we get we get irritated when people start <laughs> imposing gender yeah, right? upon us. Um, so... Poor old Paul, you know. I mean, he lived a long um, he lived a long time ago. What what sort of stuff are we going to be guilty of if someone starts to read our writings two thousand years from now and says, you know, this thing I about Campbell, he yeah. was such a jerk. He just did not care about plants enough and the microbes in his stomach that he was genocidally killing at dinner time every night without realizing he needed to keep more of them alive. You know, what a jerk! It's like I don't know. I don't know what constituency I'm stomping on. I'm doing my best. Um, and Paul's kind of the same. So I, I say read him in terms of his positive moves and in terms of what he was trying to do. Because he, poor old guy, he paid a hell of a price for that. I mean, his, his radically incredible moves, boy, he suffered for that. He, um, I mean, his, his radical move on the, the Gentiles bringing them in but not asking them to get circumcised if they were men and to obey the Jewish Torah. That radical move really upset a lot of people in the early church. And they had they had a pretty big powwow about it. And word got out. And so he realizes at a later point, after this power, things start to unravel. Got to go back to Jerusalem. Got to have another conference. Um, another discussion. Wheels are falling off. People People are opposing me. Um, he realizes in Romans 15, as he writes Romans 15, I might get killed if I make this trip to have this meeting, but I'm still going to do it. Yeah, I'm going exactly. to make a trip and have a meeting with church leaders who have betrayed me and may not protect me if outsiders want to kill me, but I'm still going to make that trip for the sake of church unity and for the sake of what I'm proclaiming inclusively, and he did almost get killed. He got incarcerated, if Acts is right, for about another four or five years. How many of us are willing to pay that price for our political correctness or church unity? Um, yeah, that not many. Yeah, that's right. He was he was a pretty impressive guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to and to. Yeah. <laughs> and to impose upon him uh, what you said earlier is still kind of rattling around in my head that, that to to attribute the worst things to him 
that um, were the very things I feel like he was opposing um, just because oh, we pulled a few yeah. things out of, out of context. And oh, yeah. is there, is there a place in, in, I know in Galatians we see this some, but is there a, so is there a, a point at which the words that we are attributing to Paul um, that aren't even actually Paul, that he's, he's setting up the, the argument that he's going to knock down that yeah, he's voicing yeah. the false teacher and he does it well enough. You know, a lot of us would do this and set up a paper tiger to tear down. Right. right so right, right. Paul does yeah. it to me. I think Paul's undoing is that Paul does it so well and convincingly <laughs> that 2000 years later we can say, Oh man, yeah, yeah that sounds like Paul, that's you know, Paul, <laughs> even though it's, well, yeah, that's a great insight. Um, mm, I think where you're going with this is the works of law passages that we read as works of law. That's the opposition position. So rather than saying all Jews thought like this, that you kind of work your way to heaven, and rather than attributing that to, to all Jews, if you, if you follow my suggestion and read that as the gospel of kind of the other side in the early church, um, they're the guys that think you work your way to heaven. So you no longer have to say that all Jews thought in this rather conditional way. You can back off from that. And I think, I think that's the key move. Yeah. That's where Paul is characterizing someone else's position. In a way, he's speaking in their voice. Um, another place where he might be speaking in someone else's voice, and I'm on the fence on this from time to time, but I, I think I'm, I'm open to it. Is, uh, chap- is chapter 13 in Romans 1 to 7, the death penalty government passage. Yeah. Uh, they bear the sword. Yeah. Be afraid <laughs> if you're a bad person because they kill you because God set these guys up. Done a lot of damage to that passage. A lot of damage. And maybe, maybe that is the lot, kind yeah. of pompous authoritarian political position of his opposition. His, his opposition are quite academic. They're, they're a bit like me, sadly. A um, little bit pompous, a little bit full of themselves. <laughs> use a lot of big words when they should just use straightforward speech. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he's kind of taking the mickey out of them at that point, I think. I, I'm open to this. I'm not completely sure, but I think, I think that might yeah, be right. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm open to that as well. Yeah, um, looks good. I like it. I like it a lot. I like anything that challenges the status quo and, um, you know, maybe potentially upsets a few people. So I'm, <laughs> I'm always looking to upset the right people. Um, you know, so. that's right. <laughs> well, hey, um, man, I could talk to you for hours, but I want to make sure and talk to you about one other thing in particular that hadn't, doesn't have much specifically to do with Paul. But I was told um, that I should ask you about prison ministry. Okay. And that's kind of where your, your passion is these days. Uh, and uh, I just, yeah, I want to hear about that. Yeah, well, it's, it's um, I, yeah, I think it, I hope it's a God thing. I think it is. Um, like, like most important things in my life, God spoke to me through my wife because she, yeah. she ended up getting alongside a young guy who was a friend of our son's and he, he just lost it. For, for various reasons when he was in his um, junior year, I think it was, in high school. He ended up doing something pretty terrible. So he's doing a hell of a long stretch here. And she just felt mm. that he wasn't a monster, that he was a broken, bullied kid, which turned out to be right. So we just we started visiting him. She started visiting him very bravely. 
and it was a low point for her. And we started supporting him. I got kind of drawn in. I, I, at first, I was far too preoccupied in doing very important things like New Testament scholarship. And then I ended up <laughs> finally getting dragged in to visiting federal prisons with her and state psychiatric hospitals and stuff. Um, and then I realized, of course, that that was what was really important. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah. I think was a, it was a challenge from the Holy Spirit at that time to the Divinity School because it coincided with work and movement into prisons by a couple of other key players. Um, Bishop Ken Carter did a lot of death row work in Tennessee and then came to us and said, where's your prison ministry? We didn't have one. Um, so we set it all up. We set it all up and we now are able to offer courses where some of our students go in and learn alongside people doing time. We're not in there to teach them. Um, the students are in there to learn alongside and be a student together in a class and to hear that folks who are doing time often have very, very good things to say and very interesting stories. And this is, this is, this is doing a very practical rewiring of what we were talking about earlier on where you other people, you get a group, right. you dress them in funny clothes, you put them in a, in a building far away, you call them special right. names, and that justifies doing incredibly uh, disrespectful and shaming things to them. And what you need to do is, is you need to not just talk about doing something differently. You need to go and hang out with these people and find out that they're good people. Um, yeah, they've done bad stuff. We all have. Um, there's something to be respected and valued and affirmed there. And this is how you preach the gospel. You preach it by what you don't say, but by what you say with your body when you sit around a table and respect what somebody is saying. Um, so that's been hugely life-giving, really, to me. Um, and I've learned a ton. And so m- most people probably write it theology of Paul and they start off with God and they end up with the end times. And I write, when I write a theology of Paul now, I start off with God, that's true. Uh, very much the God revealed through Jesus Christ and it ends with us visiting prisons. Yeah, that's... Wow. That, that's where, where Paul would want his theology to uh, end up. Well, yeah, some sort of practical... Uh, as you were talking, I'm, I'm thinking of Henry Nowen and or is it Nguyen? I always mispronounce his name. He was, but you know, that at the end of his life, he decides to, he just, he just goes to work full time in a, in a home for people who are, who are mentally disadvantaged and who have been othered in a holy, you know, in a very similar way. And that's where he spends the rest of his life. Um, and literally just rubber meets the road. Yeah. Ministering to people, you know, and I think you're exactly right that Paul's, you know, that with that, that the, the natural out, outcome of all of this should be that <laughs> that that ministry happens. So yeah, Matt, no, no, you're exactly right. I, I think you're exactly right. Well, I I, I I I find this very interesting as well. I mean, um, I had the pleasure of seeing Paul Young. He came to our town and he spoke for two days. No, well, uh, the first, yeah. you know, and I'm I'm not I'm expecting you know Paul Young to be you know we're just going to sit around and talk about the shack. And uh, he had just written another book, uh, Lies We Believe About God. So I figured that's what we're going to be talking about. And that's day one was pretty much what I expected. Day two was all about like prison ministry. 
and the the failure uh, the failures of our judicial system, specifically with death row inmates and his work within the death row. I didn't, and, yeah, I didn't uh, know that about Paul. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, it, it was remarkable. It was, uh, an evening of eye-opening, uh, just stuff that you don't hear about, stuff you don't know about. I mean, stuff is, is, is grotesque as death row inmates are put to death sometimes because the, uh, injections are about to expire and they need to use them because they don't want to have to throw them away. Right. And one of the, one of the, one of the biggest life or mind changing things for me was, so we put these people on death row. They've been there for 40 years because, you know, rightly so, they get appeal processes and all this. So now 40 years later, they've, they've, they've gone to school. They've learned how to better themselves. They become, and they are a completely different person than they were 40 years ago. And everybody sees it. The wardens, the judicial system. But at the end of it all, they're like, yeah, we see that you've changed, but you still got to die. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and um, it's, it's, it's just it's, it's just heartbreaking. It's awful. Yeah, yeah, we got to It's um, and and of course it's it's bound up with bad theology and bad readings of the Bible. It's bound up with yeah. bad reading of Paul, um, where God solves the problems of the world in this bad reading by inflicting punishment and death on His Son. Yeah, uh, which is which is pretty horrific, and and, and we've missed. That Paul is saying something very different, which is God has borne our burden and has terminated it and recreated life on the other side. So God's justice is not a punitive, killing, harming justice. It's a burden-bearing, restorative and reconciling justice that uh, brings flourishing and life. Out of out of these situations as best they can. It's it's a very very different model of how to respond to harm. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> gosh, it's tough stuff. These heavy issues, heavy issues. Yeah, gosh, but they're real. I appreciate you bringing them up because I, I do think these are really, in some ways, they're these are the really important things, and they show you that you know people might go. Well, what, why do you sit around discussing Paul and why do you read Paul for decades and try and correct these misunderstandings? And it's because of the stuff that, that we're talking about now, the, the repercussions downstream are, are, are pretty frightening. Hopefully one day, one day. <laughs> one day, one day. Um, I hope, you know, but the, uh, the sad reality is that um, it doesn't feel like we need a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of encouragement to read Paul how, however we want to, to, you know, bolster or, you know, hold up our own biases, our preconceived notions. And right. so, right. um, too often, yeah. I just think we, you know, we, we, we'd look deeper if we had, a, if, if we wanted to, but we have found what we needed. So no need to go deeper than that. Yeah. Um, and it's too bad yeah. because I think we're yeah. missing out. I think you're exactly right that, um, there's there's much to Paul that is so revolutionary that is so groundbreaking and so just crazy new and different and that we've somehow lost that um, by flattening out the text and doing the things that we do to it and uh, kind yeah. of putting yeah and then forgetting that Paul's a product of his time and his and his culture as well you know and so right. when we right. when we evaluate things exactly. like sexual mores and things like that well he's a Jewish man of his time. Of course, he's going to have the same mindset that um, 
you know, he's going to have been probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, he's going to have he's going to have the same yeah. filters of you know of Torah as as everybody else does, yeah. and um, yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing to study, and I, and I love the fact that it ends in a practical application, right? It's not this is not just all abstract theologizing. We're not just around navel gazing, you know, trying to come no. up with thousand page books. It has for real um, application how we treat people, the ways in which we envision justice, right? Um, I just, uh, I'm a pastor still, so I have a small church here in Texas and that was, you know, my sermon yesterday was, was, you know, a reading of the, of the, of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and stopped talking about this, you know, all being about hell, you know, when in reality it was about how, how, how are we treating people? How does the, how does the rich man go off to, to Hades and still feel like he can boss the poor man around? You know, <laughs> he's, he yeah. hasn't learned a thing, man. He's still going, hey, go get some water and bring it back to me. So at the end of the day, isn't that what matters, right? It, it, it has to come down to how we treat each other. Um, yeah. And so yeah. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged to think you guys have got a little bit out of my, my stuff. And I'm, I'm glad <laughs> if it's been a help. Praise be. <laughs> Amen. No, and it has been. I mean, um, I'm still, I'm still digging through all of it. It's, it's, it's part of my almost, you know, almost daily. I, I pick up a little bit and I read a little bit because you're a, it's a dense, you know, amount of work and I'm trying to, I, I want to do it justice. I feel like I, you know, not to, not to blow smoke, but I, I have a, I, I have Carl Bart on my shelf and I have other people and I'm, I'm doing the same thing with those guys. Like I need to go through that slowly. Well, digest you should do that it, you know. before you read me. Well, I'm 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 reading you concurrently. Yeah. Oh, and then you know somewhere down the line I'll, I'll read other guys. But um, I have appreciated your work. I've, I I I appreciate very much um, the time and the and the effort that goes into it. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I could talk to you for hours, but I I know we all have other things to do today. So thank you very much, uh, Douglas. We appreciate you. Are you, do you have any kind of, I know you're on Facebook a little bit. Do you do much in the way of social media? Um, I do have a webpage, but it's fallen into dereliction a bit. I need to get it up and running again. There is stuff there that's useful. Um, okay. Instead of lectures that I did online, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. lectures on Pauline dogmatics on part one, they're all just free. Um, some of my stuff and, Yes, I'm, I'm sort of ambivalent about social media. Um, Understood. I get you. <laughs> is that just DouglasCampbell.com, or what's the, what's your website? It's DouglasCampbell.me. It doesn't the, the, the dot, dot com. Me. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I'm is, is shamelessly narcissistic. It's actually the web domain uh, or whatever it is. It, org, org and com were gone. Right. But Emmy wasn't. Right. Gotcha. So you got. So I got <laughs> I like it though. <laughs> well, check, so check out the web. I would, I would recommend highly that you you check it out. And those those interactive uh, lectures are fantastic. Um, there's a lot of stuff I've seen videos of you on YouTube, and you're always so fascinating. Um, all of the books. Um, if you're if you're new um, to any of this sort of new Pauline apocalyptic reading, um, I would highly recommend start with Paul and Apostles' Journey, but don't stop there. Uh, there's really good stuff in the rest of it. Yeah, just have to be willing to put in a little bit of the work. Um, but man, it's well, well <laughs> worth it. So thank I you. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for That's taking it, the time. That's-
That's very kind of you. I do appreciate it. You've been reading the work and enjoying it. I really do. Great to meet you too, John. Every blessing on you yeah. and your ministry. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.